0: are greater. You are powerful. You are mighty. You are savior. You are healer. You are deliverer. We thank you that you are here today in power by your spirit. Lord, thank you that a stream of the miraculous and the eternal is flowing like a river in this place today. And Lord, to every precious person that's gathered in this 1045 worship experience demonstrate Yourself as God in their lives. Lord, touch them. Heal them. Save them. Encourage and strengthen and lift. Lord, bring hope where there's hopelessness. Bring courage where there's fear. God, bring faith and displace doubt today in this place as we celebrate and worship together. Thank You for what You've done and what You are doing. Through the powerful name, Jesus Christ. Christ, our Lord. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. Wow, good morning and welcome. And as you're seated and the lights come up, would you just smile at your neighbor and thank them for brushing their teeth and using deodorant this morning? It's those, it's those small courtesies that go a long way, aren't they? Great to have you celebrating with us this morning ushers are going to be passing the welcome books and the offering buckets. Thank you for uh, Chris mentioned. If you want to sign up for the welcome lunch, you can do that in the the, uh, welcome books. Let us know that you're newer and that you want to participate, how many family members will be coming. That way we can have enough food for everybody because Chris gets grumpy when he doesn't get enough to eat. So help us out in that regard. And uh, thank you in advance for your faithfulness and your generosity toward God. At North Point, we just believe that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And we want to invest in a kingdom that's bigger than we are. And we want to help that kingdom expand. And that's, that's why we give and are generous toward God. And uh, so thank you for that this morning. I, I've got a, a dear friend of mine, Jason Wolford, is with us. He's the uh, uh, executive director of CRI, Christian Resource International. He's here this morning worshiping with his family. Jason, would you just stand up and say hi? And, and uh, that is a great organization and uh, they're right out of Fowlerville. What they do is uh, is that they actually collect Christian resources from across the United States. They recycle them, and they send them to the four corners of the earth. They're serving missionaries and pastors all over the planet. There's a huge crusade, and you're going to give over, how many millions, in, in uh, over a million dollars in material going to the Philippines? Over $3 million retail. In recycled resources, going to the Philippines in 2015. This is an amazing man, an amazing ministry. And uh, Jason, thanks for yeah. And we serve an amazing God. That's right. So let's uh, let's celebrate that. Well, uh, we are uh, continuing on a series that we kicked off Easter Sunday. So glad that you're with us. Uh, It's it's a whole series asking a series of why questions. We kicked off Easter. Why does Easter matter? Why does the resurrection matter? Why does any of it matter? And what's going to be different about Monday after Easter Sunday? And last week we started to delve into some really tough questions. Our own Chris Carter tackled the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And if you were not here last week, I want to encourage you to go online. We have podcasts, we have all the audio of the services, and you can listen to that. Maybe you, you were here last week and there's somebody that you know that could use that message. I want to encourage you to get that online and Chris uh, started with this question, one of many of the challenging questions that we are endeavoring to answer through this series. This was the question last week. Why would God let my two-year-old son be killed by murder of neglect at the hands of my ex-husband resulting in no conviction by the courts and therefore no justice? Wow. Seems God is impotent and not the kind of God that I want to follow. And Chris did a masterful job of of really addressing that question. And among other things, He gave us three things that we can hang our hat on just by way of review. Number one, God is not cruel. God did not intend life to be this way. He created a planet that was in perfect harmony and was an amazing place until man screwed it up. So, uh, God is not cruel. And we're going to really talk about some of these things today as we tackle this second question of why would a loving God send people to hell? But, Chris said, God is not cruel. Number two, God hurts when you hurt. And number three, God will make it right one day. Powerful message that you're going to want to get a hold of if you haven't listened to that. And I want to use that topic and really that question as a springboard into the question that we're addressing today, which is, as I said, why would a loving God send someone to hell? You know, this this woman asked this question about this horrific Incident of a, a two-year-old being murdered—that that's that's incomprehensible to most of us. And this is this is—it's—it's it's a powerful uh, experience and question. And she says, he or she says, I think it. She seems God is impotent and not the kind of God I want to follow. So, what we really talked about last week is—is—is is, is God a God that is cruel? Why do bad things happen? And we we addressed really that that assumption or that question fundamentally said that no god is not cruel but you know that same question and some of those same assumptions leak their way into the question that we're addressing today which is why would a loving god send somebody to hell well that's that's a legitimate question and within that question are really some maybe some sub questions Maybe some assumptions or uh, some implications rather, that I want to take time and just, just to talk about at the front end of this talk to extract some thoughts here and kind of so we can get our, our brains and our arms and our hearts around this question. First of all, it would seem, why would a loving God send someone to help? First of all, it would seem that if God judges, then He must be unloving. Why would a loving God? send someone to hell. In other words, He he can't be loving if He's doing something like that. So it's a question of, is is God loving? Is God good? Or is He cruel? Is He he genuinely loving or is He sadistic somehow? Is there a twisted side to God? That's one of the, the underlying implications or assumptions in that question. Another one is, if God judges, He must be unjust or unfair. So if He's loving, He can't judge in that way. Or if He judges in that way, He must not be loving. And so, these are a couple of assertions or or assumptions that maybe are, are underlying in this question that we need to think about and that we need to clearly Answer. Here's another one. If God loves, then He won't judge. And if He judges, then He can't love. So so these two notions are then mutually exclusive. And we have to, we have to think about that. Is that true or not? If God loves, then He can't judge. He can't condemn in that way because it's too severe. Or, if He does, then He's not loving. So those two notions of loving and justice or judgment cannot be in the same sentence. They, they, they can't be two characteristics that are true of one God. It has to be one or the other. They're mutually exclusive. And I would submit to you that God is altogether lovely. The Bible tells us that He's perfect. The Bible tells us that He actually has many different characteristics. And He he holds all of these characteristics perfectly in balance. And I don't know how He does that, because I'm not God. But He is. And He's amazing in this way. Because He is perfectly loving. And yet He's perfectly just. How does God do that? That's amazing. He's perfectly holy. And yet He's perfectly merciful, and He's full of grace. How can God be like that? He's amazing like that. So I would submit to you that these notions don't have to be mutually in exclusive, that they can be inclusive and characteristics of God. In fact, a, a, uh, an amazing story uh, that is true of a person that I know and love, her name is Lara. And uh, she was my administrative assistant for a number of years. And uh, I didn't know this for many years about Lara, but they had a tragedy in their family where her daughter and multiple members of her family were murdered. And it was gruesome and it was horrific. And to add to the pain and the agony of that whole experience, there was no conviction. There 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 was no closure. For 20 years, this was an open wound to this family. But finally, enough evidence was gathered that was sub- substantial. And the prosecuting attorney was able to move forward with the case. And so there was a trial, there was a jury, there was a, uh, there was a trial and there was a conviction and the individual that was guilty was found, was found so and was sentenced to life in prison. You say, "Wow, that's that's heavy, that's serious." Yes, it is. Now let me let me just, in the context of that scenario, let me let me pose some of these same questions for the ju- for the jury rather and the judge to find the individual guilty. Is that unloving? To find that person guilty. Is that unloving that a sentence is meted out of life in prison? Is that unloving or is it just? Is it right? Is it appropriate? Well, you, you, as we sit here and we think about this, we don't often think about these kinds of things in the context of being loving or not. It, it's, the, the question is not really, is it loving? Is it the right thing to do? In other words, the judge isn't unloving. I don't think anybody here would argue that. I don't think anybody would argue that the jury is unloving. When found guilty, a sentence is meted out. That, I think most people would agree that's appropriate. And so these are some of the issues that underlie this, this question. And the first real issue, and I want to tackle three that relate to this subject, is, is the idea of, of, of somehow that God is unfair. Is God unfair or is He unloving because there is a sentence, a punishment of hell? And I'm not here to preach hellfire and brimstone. I'm not here to spit on anybody and preach anybody under condemnation. But I am here to speak truth because Jesus spoke truth. And it's important that we understand truth as it relates to something that is so soberingly important in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. So, first of all, the notion that that this would be unfair, how could a loving God send someone to hell? And I think we need to ask the question of what is unloving? Is it unloving toward, for example, this person that was convicted, is that unloving or is it unloving that someone's life was unjustly taken? And I, I think the answer to that is clear. Let me, let me use this illustration. This actually happened in our lives. My son Austin is our oldest, and he was driving last fall. And uh, it was, uh, we just had a, a local cloud burst. He was driving on 69, coming from Potterville into Lansing. And there's some, some big S-curves through there. And he began to hydroplane. He lost control of his vehicle. He slammed into the right guardrail, crossed two lanes, and slammed into the left guardrail. Car came to a halt. No other cars involved in the incident. He was not injured, thank God but his car was total. And the police officer wasn't able to come to the scene of the accident for about 20 minutes. And when the officer got there, he only asked my son a couple of questions. He said, number one, were you speeding? And Austin said, no, I was actually, I, I, I think I was going below the speed limit. I was going with the flow of traffic. It had rained heavily, and I was driving very cautiously. And he, he asked him a second question. He said, were you texting? And Austin said, absolutely not. I, I, would, I never text and drive. I absolutely don't do that. And the police officer said, well, since you lost control of your vehicle and nobody else, you were surrounded by traffic, nobody else lost control of their vehicle, I'm going to write you a citation because you had to be doing something or you had to be speeding. So he wrote him a citation. And we were sitting in the vehicle and uh, my blood pressure started to go up. Because I'm sitting there thinking, this guy is hes 20 minutes after the scene of the accident, and he's writing a citation apparently based on some assumptions. And I immediately thought, you know, I, I, I'm not like this, but I immediately thought, it's going to be okay, we'll be able to go before the magistrate, we'll be able to present our case, this is, this is, a, this is an open and shut case, and my son will prevail. So as soon as the officer left, we were very respectful, as the officer left I explained this to my son I said listen this this is this is a bogus ticket here's why you uh, the guy was not here he, he has no radar record that you were speeding he has no uh, indication pictures or otherwise no evidence to lead to believe that you were texting that you were doing anything wrong this is this is unfortunate it's inappropriate we're going to go before the magistrate and you're going to you're going to win on this one and so the time came we went it was in Charlotte we sit down with the magistrate and the police officer. First of all, I was surprised the police officer was even there, but he was. And and so Austin and I had talked about it. We had rehearsed this, exactly what to say. And so the police officer stated the case, stated the facts, and then the, then the magistrate asked Austin, okay, uh, tell me your side of the story, what happened, and do you have any questions? And so Austin stated what happened, and he said, I just have a couple questions for the officer. He said, officer, were you there at the scene of the accident? And he said, no. He said, "Do you have any radar record that I was speeding? No. Do you have any indication that I was texting? No." And so my son said, "No, uh, magistrate, your honor, I, I have no further questions." So then the magistrate began then to help my son understand that he was uh, going to cause the, he was going to uh, uh, stand behind the citation that there was a two hundred and fifty dollar uh, penalty for that and there was going to be points on his license. And what he explained to my son was this. He said, because there were wet conditions, you have to travel at a speed that is safe given the conditions. And because you lost control of your vehicle, you were going too fast for the conditions you were in. Therefore, it's not about whether you were going 70. You were, even if you were going 20, you would have been going too fast and you lost control. Therefore, you're responsible, and therefore, the ticket stands, the fine, and the points. And I have to tell you that day, that was, a, that was an interesting learning experience, not only for me, but for my son, because I went into that courtroom with total confidence that we were going to win. I thought that my case was airtight. I was confident that the magistrate would see it our way. But in the end, my son had broken the law and he wasn't even aware of it. And there were consequences as a result of breaking the law. And there was a penalty associated with it. And that was inescapable. It was unarguable. Are you listening this morning? And the truth of the matter is this. That every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, have been speeding and driving recklessly on God's roads on this planet. And we're guilty of breaking law, whether we know it or not. Now we can come with some of the most carefully crafted arguments. We can be convinced that we are right and still be wrong. Are you listening? That's possible. Is it possible today? that somewhere in this 3 pounds of gray matter that we use about 10% of is it conceivable that maybe god knows some things that i haven't figured out yet is is it within the realm of possibility i think it is and so as we as we as we ask this question how can a loving god send someone to hell first of all i think we have to realize that maybe we don't have all the answers and that our perspective may not be the perspective that the entire universe is going to operate by. Is that is that is that fair? Is that fair this morning? Okay, three of you think it's fair. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, that support. I appreciate that. Okay, so first of all, uh, this notion of being unfair. Now, listen. I'm going to read a passage from the lips of Jesus. And... What I want you to understand is that Jesus always spoke the truth. Jesus is the truth. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Jesus cannot mislead. Jesus would never mislead. Jesus only speaks the truth. Jesus is altogether completely concerned about you and your life and your welfare and everything that relates to you. And so we're going to go to the Scripture, we're going to go to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read the words of Jesus as it relates to this place called hell. And we're going to listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus tells a story about hell. And He uses some very explicit language. He paints a very clear, vivid picture. Now let me just pause to say this. Jesus would not do this to mislead someone. He would do this because He is altogether loving. He is altogether kind. He is altogether good. So we're going we're to hear from the lips of the one who actually tasted death. And was resurrected. The one who's the authority on death. And the authority on the afterlife. We're going to look at His words. Specifically in Luke chapter 16. Jesus in the Gospels of the Gospels, he talks about hell. And 50% of the parables, he talks about hell judgment and punishment. Luke chapter 16, he talks about a rich man. He says, There was a rich man, a certain rich man, who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At the gate was laid a beggar, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, Excuse me. he looked up and he saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here And you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor anyone cross over from from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone... From the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If you do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Isn't it notable that Jesus Christ has done just that? And yet many refuse to listen to Him. So these are the words of Jesus. Very specific. I don't think Jesus is trying to talk allegorically to mislead anybody. I think He's very clear that there is a real place called hell that you and I never want to experience. It's a place of fire. It's a place of agony. It's a place of torment. It is not a pleasant place, and it is not a pleasant subject, and it gives me no joy to speak about this this morning. But understand this, that heaven and hell really are not the issue. Please don't get hung up on heaven or hell. If you're going to be hung up, let's get hung up on the real issue, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the real issue. Listen to His words out of John chapter 3. And this is, this. I'll tell you what, the good news is called the good news because the bad news is really bad. It really is really good news. And that's why we're so happy about it, and that's why I want everybody to know it. Because it's really good. Now listen to what Jesus said in John chapter... This is These are the verses that follow probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that He... What did He do? He gave. Yes, He gave. So that whosoever... That's you and that's me. And that's your neighbor. That's everybody. Whosoever might believe in Him might not what? Perish. There's... God, ah, there, There's some, there, there's something to... There's some danger there. But have everlasting life. The very next verse, Jesus said this. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That is so important that you and I get that. God is not in the condemning business. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save Because there's a problem that He's here to help fix. Can you get that? The Scripture goes on to say, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So if you believe you're not condemned, if you reject, if you choose not to believe, the Bible says you're condemned already. Why? Because you've already sinned. I've already sinned. We've, we're, we've already violated God's holy law. And now, Jesus went on to say this in John 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects, say reject. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Wow. You know that wrath is used... Over six hundred times in the Bible, wow. Whoever believes has eternal life, but whoever rejects will not see life. God's wrath remains on him. This is so important. See, before you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is on you. That's what the Bible. These are. This is from the lips of Jesus. You're in trouble. There's a problem of infinite proportion. And Jesus came to help with that problem. Let me read it again. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever rejects will not see life. God's wrath remains. So the way to remove the wrath is to believe. Are you listening? That's the way the wrath is removed, according to the lips of Jesus. That, my friend, is good news. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's the message of the gospel. Yeah, see, again, heaven and hell aren't the issue. Jesus is the issue. Heaven and hell are the implications. And and God didn't come to condemn. he He came to do what? He came to save. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we embrace today. That is good news. The good news is this. Jesus experienced what the rich man experienced so that you and I could experience what Lazarus experienced. Isn't that good news? Man, that ought to put a smile on your face. That is good news this morning. So the first uh, idea of being unfair, the second idea I want to talk about this morning as it relates to answering this question, why would a loving God send anyone to hell, is what I call the fair weather issue. What do I mean by that? Let me, let me share three different scenarios with you, quickly, that have to do with justice, that have to do with being treated fairly and rightly. The first one is this, and it has to do with you and your driving. You're on the highway, you're speeding, you're about 10 miles over the speed limit, and you're driving down the highway, and there are several cars that are passing you that are going faster than you are. And all of a sudden the red and the blue lights start to blink and you look in your rear view mirror and the police officer is behind you pulling you over. How do you feel about that at that moment? You, you probably feel kind of shafted because you were going 80 and somebody else was going 85 and you got pulled over and you're getting the ticket when somebody was going faster. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. That has happened to me. And I felt irritated. You're more spiritual than I am. I felt personally very irritated by that. That, that was not fair, okay? Second scenario. <clears throat> your son is in a baseball game. He's pitching. And, uh, excuse me, your son's at bat. Your son's at bat. It's the bottom of the ninth. It's a full count. The score is tied. The winning run is on third base. And the pitch comes, and it's four inches outside the strike zone, and the umpire calls a strike. Parents, how do you feel right now? Somebody said, bad call in the in, the, in the 9 o'clock service. Bad call. I said, no, th- that was way too mild. <laughs> no, I, I'll tell you what happens. We scream. We stand up. We start to yell. We start to rant and rave. And, and we are outraged. Why? Because that was a horrible call. And it was unjust. And it was unfair. And it was our boy. And this... This is serious. It's so serious, we talk about it at home, we talk, it about, we talk about it at the, the water cooler at work, we talk about it before church, and we talk about it after church. Even though it happened on Monday. okay? It's just the way it is. It's not right. Alright, third scenario. Third scenario, you're at work, you've been there eight years, and you're in line for a promotion, you know the promotion's coming, you've, you've put in your application for it, you know that you meet all the qualifications, it seems like a done deal, it seems like the, the, the wheels are greased, the tracks are greased, and this is, this is coming to you, and you find out that somebody with six years less seniority got the promotion. How are you feeling right now? Huh. You're not feeling too good about that. You're feeling shafted. You, you, in fact, you'll probably contest that. And you'll probably go to management and talk, and you'll probably have some questions. Why? Because that's not right. It's not fair. It's unjust. And there's something in us. You see, the Bible says the law of God is written on our conscience. And this is part of the proof. Because we are wired to want and expect justice. We're wired that way. Because... Partly because we're created in the image and likeness of God, although that image has been marred by sin. But we, we want things to be right and we want things to be just. Now, those three scenarios, let me turn them around just a little bit. So let's, let's go back. You're driving on the highway. You're going 80, 10 miles over the speed limit. People are going faster than you. And all of a sudden, the red and the, li- the, red and the blue lights go on and the person next to you is being pulled over. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you're feeling a little better about that, aren't you? Yeah. Now how many of you pull over because you know you were speeding, and you wait? God bless you. She, she just did it this week. I should have checked with you, Lauren, before this, because you're ruining this illustration. That's all I'm going to say. Most people would not pull over and, and invite the officer to write them a citation because they were in the wrong. Most people wouldn't do that. Most people would very willingly give ourselves a pass. Second scenario, all right. Baseball game, bottom of the ninth. Scoring run is on third base. It's a three-two full count, two outs. The winning run is is poised to score, and now your son isn't at bat. Your son is pitching. And the strike comes four inch, or the pitch comes four inches outside the strike zone, and the umpire calls a. How do you feel about that? You lift your hands and you say, "Praise Jesus! Thank you, Lord. Oh, that what a great game our kids played awesome. Wow, what a good umpire staff! Yeah, and we talk about it, and we, we shout about it. We talk about it at the water cooler, we talk about it before church, we talk about- how many? Why don't we go up to the, to the fence and start shaking the fence and screaming at the ump and saying, are you out of your mind? That was four inches outside the strike zone. Why don't we do that? I'll tell you why. Because our attitude and approach toward fairness and justice is fickle. It's fair weather. All of us are wired to very happily receive grace and mercy when we're on the short end. Are you listening this morning? And so, why then would we demand that God be absolutely and exactingly fair when we're so fickle regarding what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false? what's what's just and fair and what's unjust and unfair, why would we be so exacting with God? Why would we do that? And in fact, I would pose this question. Do we even want to do that? Do we want to demand that God be absolutely fair? Do we want to demand that God give us exactly what we deserve? I don't know about you, but I'm not up for that one. I'm not. Because because I I know the story. I know what time it is. I know where I stand before God. I I know that fundamentally I'm a sinner that's fallen short of the glory of God. I know fundamentally the wages of sin is death. I know fundamentally I have violated the law, the, the, the law of a holy God who created and maintains this universe the last thing I want is to demand that God be absolutely fair with me and be be absolutely exacting in His justice. And I, I don't think there's anybody here that would want that because I don't think we really want what we deserve. So this idea of being unfair, this idea of being fair weather in terms of our sense of justice. So are we really going to in, entrust eternal things, weighty things, to mere humans who are as fickle as that, that over a a pitch for a Little League baseball game, we're going to get that bent out of shape? I don't think that's that's a good idea. I'm just going to recommend against that, okay? Now the third thing I want to talk about, uh, just for the few minutes that we have left, is true fairness. In fact, being fairest. And let me tell you about Andy Alley and the Infinity. Andy Stanley tells this story of owning a car that he really, really treasured and valued. It was an Infinity, which is a high-end uh, automobile. It's not the highest end. You can, you can get more exclusive and more expensive than that. But it's, it's a nice vehicle. Nicest car he'd ever owned. And it was, it was like new and it was clean. And, and he really, really, really liked that automobile. And he came home one day to his horror... And there was a crude letter A etched into the hood in the paint of his automobile. And every parent in the room can relate internally with what was happening in Andy's mind and in his heart. And his his blood pressure was rising, and, and, and his eyes got big, and he immediately summoned his children because he wanted to know who in the world scratched the letter A into the hood of his beautiful Infinity automobile. And as it turns out, his youngest daughter, Allie, who was four years old, looked up into his eyes lovingly and said, Daddy, I I did that. I, I, I tried to write my name, Daddy. Well, Andy was faced with some options at that point. Is that a diplomatic way to say it? He was faced faced with some options. What was he going to do? Was he going to get in his daughter's grill? Was he going to lecture her about what she had done and about how she had hurt him and that, that what she had done uh, how it affected him, how it made him feel, the fact that he was now inconvenienced, that he was going to have to take that, that, that was so precious to him, he's now going to have to take it in, he's going to have to get it detailed and painted, he's going to have to pay some big bucks, he's going to have to rent a car, inconvenience, on and on and on. All these things flooding through his mind, but he knew none of that would be comprehended by his daughter. So, the sense of justice and the sense of fairness and the sense of, of how do we make this Right? Well, this is probably hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars in repair and inconvenience, and he's talking to a four-year-old. Is she going to be able to pay to make that right? No. Can you imagine, Allie? Here, Daddy. Here's my six cents. I want to. I want to. I want to help pay for that. Right. So he, he. He. There's no way she can comprehend the wrong that she's done, even though she's guilty. There's no way he can demand justice because she has no way to pay. She has no way to make it right. So what does he do? The only thing a parent can do, look with love and mercy and grace and acceptance toward his four-year-old daughter, try to help her to understand that this is not what you're supposed to do and please don't do it again, which he did. He talked to his daughter and she said, okay, Daddy. I won't do that anymore. And then what does he do? He goes and he pays for it himself. Right? Because she had no ability to pay. She had no ability to make it right. Is that fair? No, it's not fair. But life's not fair. Now there was a day when life was fair. There was a day when life was fair. When everything was equitable, everything was even, everything was just, everything was fair, It was life was good and life was beautiful as long as that nirvanic state lasted, it's called the Garden of Eden. The Bible tells us God created everything. He placed man in the garden. He created Eve to be with Adam. He looked at everything and said, it's good. And it was until... Somebody screwed it up. Did, here's, here's the fundamental question. Did God screw it up? No. God didn't screw it up. Ali screwed it up. I mean, Adam screwed it up. Man screwed it up. See, the day Adam sinned, fairness died. Life was no longer fair. I, I love what Chris Carter shared last week. That the way it is, is not the way it was, and the way it is, is not the way it's going to be. God didn't create earth this way. He didn't create this planet to be marred, and to be tainted, and to be cancerous with sin and death. God didn't create it this way, but we screwed it up. So, if we're going to talk in terms of what's fair... Man should fix what man screwed up, just like Allie should fix what she did wrong. Well, allegorically speaking, all of us have carved a few letters in the hood of God's car. All of us have done it. And all of us, like Allie, don't have a full comprehension of what we've done. We don't. We have no comprehension of how serious... It really is. And the only way we get insight into how really serious it is is looking at the extremes that God went to in order to fix the problem. Then we have some insight into how bad it really is. Can you imagine Allie speaking to her father Andy and after the incident saying, Daddy, I want to make it right with you. I'm going to go clean my room. Well, that would be a nice gesture, wouldn't it? But that doesn't address the problem, and it certainly doesn't bring a solution. It's a nice gesture. If you think that you can get to heaven by being good enough, it's like Allie suggesting that she's going to go clean her room after she's, if I could put it in this way, sinned against her father. And so, what's really unfair is that God had to become a man to take my place and suffer the penalty of my transgression and my sin and my carving my initials in the hood of God's car. If we want to use that analogy, that, my friend, is unfair. It's unfair that somebody that's perfect would die For somebody else's wrongdoing. That is terribly unfair. And that's why Jesus is more than fair. He's the fairest. He's gone to such lengths to help and to save and to heal and to deliver. I'm so glad that He did. Now, Here, we, we all understand the bad news. And the bad news is really bad. The bad news is hell's a real place. It exists. Why would a loving God send anybody there? You know, as I read the scripture, God doesn't send people there. He came to save. He came to deliver. He came to be a substitute. He came to make a way. And if we choose to reject God's way, His salvation, then there are consequences. And so this morning, I want to I urge you, I want to urge you to just do a couple things. Number one, it's really, really, really simple. It boils down to this. God is right and I'm wrong. That's really what it boils down to. Am I willing to admit that? Am I okay with that? God's right and I'm wrong. See, there's some people that will camp on, why would a loving God send somebody to hell? God is unjust for that. And therefore, I don't want to serve Him. Well, is it possible that God's right and I'm wrong? Is it possible in all my processing of this three pounds of gray matter that maybe I missed something that God understands? And realizing He's gone to such extreme lengths that I should avail myself to the solution that He's provided. I think that, my friend, makes sense. Can we bow our heads and our hearts for just a a couple moments of quiet reflection? The worship team is going to come and we're going to sing together because God is good and He's made an amazing way and it's a simple way. It's so simple that everybody can enter into it. It's available to everybody. Oh, Father, we're so grateful today but as we just pause for a a moment of quiet reflection. Where are you today? Are you in a place where the wrath of God remains on you because up to this point you really have rejected Jesus Christ as your solution? As your sin remover? Or many of us are in a place where we We've placed heart faith in Jesus Christ. We're among those of John 3.16 for God so loved that He gave. That whosoever might believe would not perish. Many in this room. In fact, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many are here today and you're not a perfect person? You don't even have a perfect faith but you've got a sincere faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done for you and you understand that and you believe that and you accept that and you embrace that. Hands going up all over this auditorium. Yes, thank you. You may put them down. Not every hand went up. And maybe you're here today and you don't know. You don't remember a time when you placed heart, faith in Jesus Christ. Today is your day. It's this simple. Believe. Just believe. Jesus is the way. Jesus took your place. Jesus paid what you couldn't pay. It cost Him dearly. And He offers you grace and mercy. You're here today and you're ready to receive it. You're ready to believe that. And by your believing, receive it. And have the wrath of God removed from your life and the favor of God to take its place. Then I want to pray for you. Heads are bowed, eyes eyes are closed. How many here today would say, Pastor John, pray for me because I want that mercy. Yes, thank you. Hands going up. I want that grace. I don't want God to give me what I deserve. I want Him to give me mercy and grace. Thank you. Hands are going up. Others, you may put them down. Thank you. Here's what I want to do. I want us to pray together as a family. I want us all to say this out loud, loud enough so our own ears can hear it. And those of you that raised your hands for that second question, if you mean this with all of your heart, I can tell you based on the Word of God. The Bible says those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. It's that simple. We're going to call on His name. Let's pray together as a family. Say this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to You this morning in childlike faith. Father, forgive me. I've sinned against You. I've carved my initials on the hood of Your car. I'm guilty and I can't repay. Thank You for sending Jesus to do what I couldn't do. Pay for what I couldn't pay. Thank You for mercy today. Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He's the only way. I believe He told the truth. And I trust Him today with all of my heart. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Indwell me. And empower me to live for your glory the rest of my life I ask it in Jesus name amen. amen amen, Now let me tell you something that's really cool You know when you prayed that prayer and you meant it you placed faith in Jesus Christ now your faith is not in, in the prayer your faith is in Jesus You know what however many sins you had on your sin calculator maybe it was 492,373,000 I don't know what it was I had a bunch know what God does? He goes over and He hits the clear button. That's what He does. That's what He did for you this morning. He actually did it for you 2,000 years ago through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, that's something to shout about. That's something to get happy about. Could we stand up and lift our voices and just worship God this morning for the amazing gift that He's given us in Jesus Christ?